you just learn to live with it. I had to realize that, you know, no one's going to save me. There's going to be no help. Um, I've been through the system so many times. There's no help. So I'm my only hero. I have to save myself from this. And I've been doing that and I'm still here. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and that number ain't going down and we still ain't talking about it. We're not talking about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, aren't very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with survivors. Quick note, as of this morning, we reached 13,000 monthly downloads. Do I know exactly what that means? No. I know more people in more places are hearing these stories of survival, and I hope they are feeling a little less shitty and a little less alone. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com, on Facebook or Twitter, at SuicideNoted. Check the show notes. There's all kinds of other information, including another way to reach out via a recorded message, and I love recorded messages, programs and presentations we're working on, different ways to sponsor and support us, including an upcoming membership we will be launching very soon. I will keep you posted and abreast on all of that. But always remember, however you are involved, however you participate, thank you. Finally, we are talking about suicide on this podcast as we do every week. Please take that into account before you listen or as you listen. It may not be a good fit for everyone, but hey, I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Victoria. Victoria lives in Ontario and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Victoria. My favorite question, how are you? Good, how are you? You're in your car? I am, yes. What kind of car you got? I got a Bronco. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and where where do you live? I live in Ontario, Canada. Victoria in Ontario. I'm fascinated by this idea. I've had several conversations with people in their cars. And by and large, they are in their cars because they don't want to be talking about this elsewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. This is my safe zone. Like, I feel like it's my own little bubble that I'm sitting in and I can talk. I sit in my car a lot, actually. It's just where I go to collect my thoughts. I'll go for drives. Like, you know, I can go from point A to point B and I just like the freedom just sitting in my car. So I get that. Yeah. And maybe even listen to the podcast once in a while. Absolutely. I listen to your podcast all the time. Like when I'm walking my dogs, I just like (laughs) listening to other people that are going through this because I feel so alone. This is so taboo to even talk about. For most people, and this might even include people who have attempted or been in that space, hearing others' stories, quote unquote, dark stories. I don't use that word, but others might. That's not what I want to do when I'm walking my dog. I want to listen to Joe Rogan. I want to listen to music. I want to listen to crime, whatever, right? People love crime shit. Yeah. 
What do, what do you think about it? It helps people in your position and others like you to feel, like you said, less alone. Well, for me, like I think about this all the time. Like it's constant in my head every single day. Like every single day, I'm always thinking about ways and how to end my life. And mm-hmm. when I hear other people's stories, and you know, a lot of it's like, wow, I've been through that. I've, for me, it's just hearing someone else go through it. It's just, like, you know, I don't feel so fucked up, I guess you can say it. Like, I don't feel so fucked up. Like, I think about suicide 24-7. Like, I I thought about it this morning when I wake up, but I know it's just a thought and it just goes in my head and, and I continue on with my day. I don't know how else to put that, but that's how it feels for me in my head. So, yeah. Like, will you be walking your dog or will you be hanging out with people or will you be going to the grocery store and, and thinking about it sometimes? Absolutely, yeah. 24-7 means 24-7, your words. Yeah, I'm always thinking about it. And um, I'm a social worker too. So I actually help people that are going through this. I feel like a hypocrite sometimes because I'm so good at, they call it like being a chameleon, I guess you can say. Like at work, I'm a totally different person. Like nobody would even think that I go through this because I just, mm. I've been I've been hiding this and dealing with this for so long that I've become a master at hiding it, I guess you can say. I'm not on any medications. I don't have a family doctor. It's literally hard to find a family doctor in Canada. So I've been raw dogging my my illness for about eight years now. Wow. Do you, have you ever either explicitly told or suggested to anyone you work with in the in the realm of social work that you get it? You know what I mean? Get it, get it. Not in that way, no. Because no. a lot of times, because people can um, interpret that differently, like, oh, well, now you're just minimizing how I'm feeling by saying... I understand what you're going through. I get it. Just by being in the field for a while, uh, sometimes it's just like a listening ear. And a listening ear, I've noticed, really helps. And that's why I'm on this podcast, actually, just talking about this is actually therapeutic for me, talking about it, because yeah. I don't talk about this. You know, just having somebody listen is helpful, I find. And I found in the field also that just listening to somebody can do tremendous help. So, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. How is that not like obvious to every human on the fucking earth? I don't know. I How wish it was. <laughs> it's astounding. Yeah. People just are so caught up in their own life that, you know, I, I, you know, I've been told so many times, like, just be happy, think happy thoughts and just like, oh, wow, I feel so much great now. Thank you. Why didn't I think of Why didn't I think of that? Thank you so much for that little pearl, a little nugget of wisdom, John or Mary. I hadn't yeah. thought about that. I didn't know that was a possibility. Thank you. Go on with your day. I'm great now. Yeah. I people think I'm an asshole for for you know calling them out on that kind of stuff. Like, oh, I'm the asshole. Yeah, they're not the asshole for saying stupid shit. I'm the asshole for being like, you know what? You could do better. That doesn't really help. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. All right, all right, all right. right. So, (laughs) man, question: You're a social worker in Mm -hmm. Ontario. They say you're friendlier. I don't know if that's fucking true. That's no. No, no, people are assholes here. Okay. I'm not being biased. It's just from what I've experienced, like yeah. very narrow-minded, stuck in their own ways, especially the city I'm in. And I don't want to disclose that, but just very um, narrow-minded, a lot of 1950s type of mindset. It sounds like you're not a super urban area, like less urban. No, it's very less urban. It's kind of like an elbow joint to other bigger areas, so... I like that term, elbow joint. Um, You do realize, though, when we put this out to the world, with your permission, of course, Mm -hmm. there might be people who you work with. There might. Unlikely. We don't have that much of a reach at this point. Or people you've counseled or social worked with that might hear it. Absolutely. And I'm I'm aware of that. 
I think people would feel so um, scared to even say, Hey, were you on that podcast? Like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I think people would be too awkward to even say that. So probably. Yeah. But that just goes <laughs> back to this whole larger narrative of just no yeah, awkward. I think I know the answer to this because when you say you like podcasts and you walk your dog and you're thinking about it all the time, it makes sense that at some point in the past, you put the word suicide in wherever you listen to podcasts and it came up. Mm-hmm. Actually, what, what I typed in there was suicide survivors because I wanted to hear other people that um, you know have attempted and are still here mm-hmm. and how they feel about you know still being here. And your podcast came up and I scroll through all of them. I've listened to, I don't even know how many, just all over the world. And it's just like, wow, like I love yours. Yours is the best one that I've actually saved it on my phone. So when a new one comes up, it's like, oh, click it and I'm listening to it. So yeah. All right. Well, that's cool to hear. I, I appreciate that. It's always fascinating to me that people are walking their dogs or driving their cars or working out or in bed or whatever, and they're hearing me and the mm-hmm. guest I have, like they will us when, when this comes out. It's like, wow. Just the, yeah. just the, it's just weird. Mm-hmm. Different things people listen to. So yeah, as exactly. I'm listening to and I'm walking my dogs is the stories that you post on here. So and I really like that. What kind of dog do you have? I have two chihuahuas. Oh, all right. Some people might say together they make a dog. But they're little dogs with big personalities. They will take on a great thing if they, if they really yeah. need it. <laughs> now, how far are you away from where you live right now? I'm about five minutes. All right. So you took a little drive. Mm-hmm. Do you live with people or are you solo? I live with my partner. And your dogs? And my dogs, yes. Does your partner know we're talking? Yes. I actually told him this morning that I'm going to be on a podcast. And he doesn't know what podcast... Okay. I just told him it's about uh, people struggling with depression and anxiety. Because um, when I talk about suicide to him, it stresses him out. Because mm. he's been with me for about almost nine years now. He's he's seen the rough end of it. And actually, his best friend uh, committed suicide about three years ago. So now he's starting to see like how it is. Whereas before, he was so sheltered from it. So now he's seeing it from a like, boom, this is in your face. And then his best friend yeah. unfortunately lost battle. So That's the good way to put it lost the battle you said you're together for nine years you've been battling it for eight years um i wouldn't say eight i would say probably my whole life actually now that i come to think about it like i remember feeling sad and depressed when i was eight years old Mm. and i used to feel like this fuzzy feeling in my chest i used to call it the the pink fuzzy ball because i didn't understand what it was when i was a kid it'd be oh there's that pink fuzzy feeling in my chest and i'm gonna start to cry and um when i would cry I would get bullied. People would call me like crybaby. People would laugh at me and nobody really wanted to be my friend because I was just that emotional kid. So Mm. do you remember when you first started thinking about suicide? Probably when I was nine, I grew up Mm. in a really religious family. Like my mom would tell us to say our prayers at night and my dad passed away when I was two. And I I would always ask where, where's dad? Like where, where did dad go? And she said, Oh, dad's in heaven. And she's like, when you, when, we, when you pass away, you go to heaven and you meet your family again. So I think having that kind of being told that when I was a kid, that's when I said, well, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to be with dad. Like, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's what slowly started the process of like not wanting to be here. Being dead is probably better because you see your whole family again. So that kind of stuck with me when I was growing up. And my uh, first real attempt was when I was 14. What was going on then? 
I was really dealing with a rough patch. I think this is where all the monsters basically came out of the closet, like everything that I was hiding growing up, you know, being bullied, uh, growing up in an unsafe environment. Like my mom was a single mom. We didn't grow up in the best type of neighborhood. I was around domestic violence, drugs. I've seen overdoses. I've seen death. So I kind of grew up in that kind of environment. So everything that I was feeling and, you know, my mom would always like, tell me to go to my room when I was acting out. So I kind of learned to bottle everything in. So when I finally hit 14, I was still being bullied at school, like basically relentlessly. Like I would have my stuff thrown in the garbage when I'd get back to class. My mm-hmm. books would be in the garbage. People would throw my iPod in the garbage. That was like a huge thing for me was my music at the time. I got fed up. I would bring knives to school to basically tell these people to, to you know, leave me alone. I would get my chair kicked. Like people would kick my chair. People would mock me in the hallway and they'd be like, oh, cut yourself, emo. And I did struggle with self-harm at 14. I think that's what really kicked the bucket for me was just people laughing and mocking and, you know, people telling me no one's going to love you. And and so um, I actually went into my room one day and I've been hoarding my medication. I had, um, you know, anxiety medication, antidepressants. Uh, my mom was on a few medications and I hoarded them. I never took them. I just hid them away. And when everything finally reached a tipping point for me, um, I took all of them and I grabbed a box cutter and I cut my arm really bad. And uh, mm. I started like, I, I don't remember much because I lost, I was losing a lot of blood. And I remember I was writing things on the wall. Like I was just very delusional. And next thing you know, the police are coming in, kicking down my door and um, <sighs> they're telling me, wake up, wake up, like stay awake, stay awake. Cause I just felt so tired. Like I haven't slept in like years. That's how I felt. And, then I'm in the hospital and it basically went downhill from there. Called it the zoo. Like, I know that's such a, a really mean term to say that, but it's like, there's people screaming, people shouting, like there's so much going on. And I had to get my stomach pumped. I was then there probably for seven days. And as, as sad as it is, you can manipulate the system. Like you can just yeah. say, you know what, I'm, I'm better now. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Cause like, I didn't want to be in there. I felt like they were just putting me on all these different medications that made me, I was like, this is stupid. And yeah, totally. Yeah. The guy had a psychiatrist at the time and they put me in uh, counseling for troubled youth. And my sister would have to force me to go like bribe me. Cause I didn't even want to go. She'd be like, okay, Victoria. Well, if you go to this, this counseling meeting, I'll go and buy you hair products. Cause I used to have like this wacky, funky hair when I was a kid. That's what I loved to do. And so that was the only reason why I would go to these meetings is so I can basically get a different hair product. If you ever write a book, if you've heard the podcast, you know, I'm a genius with titles. Mm -hmm. I decided I am a genius. Nobody else said that about me, by the way. I just think (laughs) the zoo is a great title. It needs a subtitle. Mm -hmm. The zoo. I fucking love that. I also love pink fuzzy ball. That's got to be in there somewhere too. Yeah. I love these names. I don't love that you went through it. I just think the names are really powerful and like visually strong. The zoo. Come on. It's almost look, I let me let me get on my little venting moment here. You know I do this from time to time. It's it is legitimately if the US isn't Canada, it seems somewhat similar in some ways. It's almost like there were people designing a space like the place you were at for seven days where it's like, let's do the opposite of what's most healing. Yeah, absolutely. Let's keep you in the room. Yeah. Keep you uh, contained in your room, have the doctors look at you like you're in like, like basically like you're in a zoo, you're trapped in a little cage and then there's a window there and you know, they're looking at you and there's no privacy. Right. And you know that there'll be people here hearing this 
he'll be like, oh my God, I totally get this. But you know, I think if we told this to others who didn't get it as much, they'd be like, well, you don't really know what's best for you. Yeah. That's and I really hope that doesn't offend any of the listeners. <laughs> like, I really hope it doesn't. So yeah, I can't speak for the listeners. I don't, Yeah, I don't know why it would offend them, but it, that doesn't personally bother me. I would much rather offend a few people and have honest conversations than Absolutely. play it safe. Absolutely, play it safe, right? Play it, safe, Let's... play it safe, play it safe. That's what we do. It's all risk mitigation and people are fucking offing themselves all the time. Yeah. Come on, like have a real conversation. Let's not bullshit everyone mm-hmm. or each other. And um, yeah. So when you get out of the hospital, you've already told me it's been going on for years to this day, as we speak in your Bronco. Yep. yep. So I know things don't magically get better, obviously. No. Even if you hadn't said that, I would assume they're not getting magically better. You just learn to live with it, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's sad to say that, like, you know, I've had to, I had to realize that, you know, no one's going to save me. There's going to be no help. Um, I've been through the system so many times. There's no help. So I'm my only hero. I have to save myself from this. And yeah, and I've been doing that and I'm still here. So I think it's just a little bit of resilience that, you know, runs through my family that, you know, I, well, I'm still here struggling with this and I, I'm still here. <laughs> Yeah, but Victoria, I, I admire you for that, but the, the energy it takes to, quote, be your own hero, you could argue it's keeping you alive. And you'll tell me if I'm wrong here. I'm, I'm speculating, I suppose. But it's fucking tiring and in some parts probably not helping you very much. No, I feel burnt out a lot, like even yeah. just going to work sometimes because it's like, oh, what am I going to go through today? And, and what am I going to hear? And just I, I have to put myself on the back burner like I've been doing all my life. So to help other people, I've been told I'm a wounded healer. So <laughs> I try I to mean, help people as best I can. With, with maybe a few exceptions, the only people that I find connection with in this whole sort of broader context are people who are wounded. Mm-hmm. That's just me. I, yeah. It's so hard for me to connect with others. So I get it. I bet you're a fucking really good social worker. I try to be. Yeah, I bet you are. Let me just sort of zoom out for a second, then we'll zoom back in. How many in total, however you define attempt, how many are there in total? I don't know. I've I've lost count. I've been in the hospital so many times. Wow. Okay. When I was actually in college, um, believe it or not, doing social worker, I was actually being bullied in there too for my depression, anxiety. Um, like I'm probably not going to listen to my podcast because I don't like the sound of my voice. That's Got was it. a big, huge anxiety trigger for me was my voice. So when we had to do presentations in front of the class, like I would just start like zoning out, won't be able to do it. You know, having your typical racing mm-hmm. thoughts and, mm-hmm. and people would say, you're doing it for attention. Like you're doing it for attention. And that kind of shit pissed me off. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go up in front of this classroom and I'm going to do this presentation. I'm going to rock it. And I did. I thought I did anyways, because I graduated with honors, like yeah. in my social work program. So I'm pretty damn happy about myself. Amazing. One question here that I think I, this is astounding to me. I get middle school, high school people bullying. I don't like it. I think it's awful. Mm-hmm. I get it. Are you saying that when you were in not just any program in college, not just any program, not, not architecture or accounting, social work, the people there, some of them bullied you. These are people now. In social work. And I'll let you know that my sister is, she's a kind of a big wig at one of the um, places here that deal like for people, you know, like foster homes and that. Yeah, there's some of the workers there that I, I know because I, I deal with those agencies and I'm and I being, I'm being told by people like they're not good at all. 
All right. So, and these women were a lot older than me too. Yeah. So, all right. 14 attempt one, you've had a lot, you've been in the hospital a lot. So sort of broader questions. Are you attempting somewhat regularly? I don't know if that's the best way to sort of frame it once every year, once is it sort of you come back to it, come back to it, come back to it. It's always come back to it. Um, I've learned to just say, okay, when I'm starting to get these thoughts, I need to do something. I need to distract myself. So that's when I will get in my Bronco and I'll go for a drive around town or I'll take my dogs out somewhere. I even take my brother's dog out. Like I'm always walking dogs because it's just like I got to keep on moving. When I'm not working, I cannot sit at my house and just be a couch potato because my mind just eats away at me. I have to constantly keep busy. Yeah, but that's kind of good awareness, right? That's survival. Yeah. I mean, you don't need me to validate you, but it's sort of that you were saying earlier, you got to do what you got to do. And it doesn't sound like anybody else is stepping in. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just me. Well, let me go back to 14 for a second. You did something that really caught my attention. You didn't just take pills. You Mm -hmm. cut yourself also. And I am no expert here at all. But when I hear that, I'm like, she wants to die. Mm -hmm. Two things make me think you're doubling up almost. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. But um, now that I look at my arms, my arms are just completely ransacked with scars. I look at it as as like, you know, I wasn't like, maybe I didn't want to die there. It was just, I just wanted these thoughts to stop because, you know, people um, when they're, when they're smoking cigarettes, right. They smoke a cigarette, their craving kind of calms down it, you know, it kind of keeps them calm. But for me, when I self-harm, that was like, almost like the same feeling. Like it was just like this wave of calmness. And I think that's why it became an addiction because like it was just a way of a coping mechanism at the time that I used to do was just cut myself and it would just, everything would just calm down because now my head's not more focused on what's going on around. I'm focused on my arm is bleeding right now. Like, what am I going to do? That's how my, my mind worked anyways. So, so do you think that was an addiction? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It was an addiction for sure. It was like, I, I don't drink. I mean, I do smoke marijuana to, at times to help. And uh, I'm not too sure if I can even say this on the podcast, but I do um, I do mushrooms. Um, and that's right. actually, I've done my research on it and it actually helps with depression, microdosing. Yeah. So I, I do that as a way to help too. So you can say whatever you want on the podcast. <laughs> Certainly mushrooms is fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to experiment with them also because I think it could help me. But I don't, it's mm-hmm. tricky here in the States. We're weird about drugs because if someone's not making a whole lot of fucking money, they make it very, very difficult for you to get anything. Yeah, absolutely. You got to do it illegally. And that brings up a whole other bunch of issues, obviously. Mm-hmm. So um, you were, you said you don't, you've never taken, or at least you don't take meds now, the sort of. Uh, no, I, I do it more herbally. Like um, yeah. I'll do mushrooms or I'll smoke marijuana, but it's not every single day because I, I don't want to rely on that. I still mm-hmm. want to be coherent. I still want to deal with my what I'm dealing with, so I don't become dependent. If that makes any sense, but yeah, yeah, yeah. As you're going through your years from 14 on, is your does your method change at all? Yeah, it does. My two serious ones actually happened when back in 2018. So I was living with my mom at the time, and uh, me and my mom we never had a good relationship. Um, like my mom was just basically stressed out uh, about me too. Like I was just an, I'll admit I was awful. Like, you know, I, I took my anger out a lot on her. Like, why did you even have me? Like, why was I even born? And I had that anger towards her for so long. Like, Mm -hmm. why did you have kids? Like, why, why didn't you 
why didn't you put me up for an adoption? Like, you don't know what you're doing. And, mm. and um, so I had that kind of resentment toward her. And I'm not too sure what the argument was, but there was a huge argument. And I remember going down to the basement and the basement was like, um, it was like, uh, it wasn't finished. So there was like big beams hanging from the ceiling. And I remember I actually went to a hardware store, maybe about a couple of hours before this whole argument and actually bought a rope. I bought a rope. I knew what I was going to do. I, I look, I did my research on how to tie the rope, where to put the rope, like how to mm. do all that kind of stuff. So then I was so stressed out and fed up. Um, I actually shut the basement door and I went down there and I just remember sitting to myself, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then I remember I was upset and I was like, will I be forgiven? Like, is there going to be forgiveness for me? And I'm, and I'm like praying and I'm like, I'm so sorry if this is what's going to come to it. Like, I didn't think that, you know, it, you know, like, I don't know how, how else to put it, but I was just praying and asking for forgiveness. And then the next thing, you know, I kick the chair out from below me and I can hear the, like, almost like an echo of the chair hitting the concrete. And then it just kind of faded out. And I, I don't remember how long I was there for that, how long I was suspended for, but I remember feeling this light feeling over my body, almost like it's just, things just started zoning out. I hear, heard this ringing in my ear. And then the next thing I remember is like, someone's lifting me up and um, someone's lifting me up and they're saying, cut it down, cut it down, cut it down. And, and then my partner, I can, I, I open up my eyes a bit and my partner's like rushing and looking around everywhere in the, in the basement, trying to find a rope. And my sister's trying her hardest to to lift me up. I'm, I'm pretty tall. I'm almost six feet and she's shorter than me and she's trying to lift me up. And, and yeah, and that was that they laid me on the ground. They were trying to keep me up. Next the paramedics came again. I was awake. I was pissed off back into the hospital. I go and mm. manipulated the system again. I'm okay. Like there's no help there. I got out within two days. The zoo manipulator. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. get, I get that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Just to be clear, you were in the basement. It was your mom's house, but your partner was there. Yeah. My partner, I don't know where my partner came from because when me and my mom had this little argument here, he wasn't there. So he must've just came at, at a perfect time. Wow. Was it the perfect time? I would say maybe mm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have met my uh, best friend. So I have a best friend and I struggled with making friends. Maybe that's a good thing that I'm still here. Mm. Wow. In 2018, were you, are you in your twenties? I can't tell. Yeah, I was in my twenties. Yeah. Early twenties. I'm 29 now. I had a sense of that when you used the word iPod earlier. Mm -hmm. iPod was in the trash. I'm like, all right. I'm, I'm curious not to get too macabre here, but I'm curious to learn more about when the pain and the ideating and the ruminating and all of that stuff amps up just a bit more or more than a bit more. And then one tries. I know it's like four years ago or more like, why that day? I don't know. Like, it's yeah. just a buildup of everything. Like I was uh, at a job I hated. I mm. was a scapegoat there because mm. I was the youngest one. I would get in trouble for things that I didn't even do. There was a lot of clicks at that work and I just didn't fit in with any of them. So it was that feeling of not fitting in, um, feeling stupid. And those are all feelings I felt my whole life, like just not fitting in, feeling stupid, feeling different. And it was always women. I don't, yeah. I don't get it. It was always women that just treated me like shit. I felt excluded. Yeah. I didn't get included into um, when they had things at work, like holiday, whatever they have, like holiday holiday gatherings or anything like that. I 
the invitation flew over my head. I wouldn't have went anyways because I hated them anyways, but you know, it's just the the point of just being excluded. So, oh my God. I mean, it's in our DNA. It really yeah. is to get not accepted into the quote tribe is, mm. I have a weird question. Yep. Do you think growing up and to this day, your height has anything to do with being bullied? Uh, it might be. Yeah. It might be, but I, I was never chosen on their sports teams though. I was always chosen last. So maybe, but I don't know. I just think no. maybe it was my energy because I have been told by psychics that my energy is very intimidating. Mm. I don't know if it has something to do with that or at the time too, I was really artistic. Maybe it was a bit of jealousy also. So I can't was... explain that because it's just, I'm so flabbergasted about it too. It's just. Yeah. I want to ask about the second one, but before that, from 2000, whenever, when you're 14 to 2018, are you ever, I apologize if you already said this. Are you ever seeing any sort of counselor, therapist, someone like regularly? I don't mean in the hospital for a few days. Yeah, yeah, I was. They diagnosed me with um, a mood disorder, depression, anxiety, PTSD. I guess I developed some PTSD just by all my attempts. So when I was 14, I laid on train tracks and a train was coming. And my friend at the time lifted my ass off the freaking train tracks. I don't know where she got the strength from because she was so short. And she grabbed me off the tracks and we just, she held me down and we just watched the train go by. And I remember looking up and the conductor was just staring at us. That's how close we were to this train. Yeah. So like, there's been a few attempts like that I've done. So at 14 meds and cut and train. Yeah. That, I totally forgot about that. Just from popped in my head. There's been so many attempts that it's hard to even keep track. And my last serious attempt was actually actually November 5th of last year. So it's almost going to be a year. You had said earlier that 2018 were your two most serious ones. No, I had another serious one. This was most recent, actually. There's, well, so there's two in 2018 or one? Just the one. I would say the hanging one was more serious. Okay. Yeah. This one is the serious one. I actually, um, I got into another huge fight with my sister again. My partner was actually present. We were at our apartment building at the time. I I don't know what we were arguing about, but my sister was just just nagging at me and bugging me. And I remember I grabbed the knife out of the out of the butcher block that we had, and I had it to my stomach. And my partner was like, his eyes like he didn't know what to do. He's like, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" And then I put that knife back and I grabbed another one and I jammed it so far in my leg. I don't remember much of that. All I remember is my partner going, oh my God, oh my God, call 911. Like it was just freaking out because blood's pouring out of my leg. Like it looks like a saw movie. I had a uh, vertigo tunnel vision because I was fainting. Like I was losing a lot of blood and my sister, um, jumped up she tied a tourniquet around my legs so stopped the bleeding and she held it down the whole time and it took the paramedics 20 minutes to get to me Mm. so i'm bleeding out basically bleeding out everywhere are you dying i think so yeah i think i was actually dying because when i actually did arrive to the hospital i was rushed into surgery they held my um everything like everything was like they're ready to basically do operation because they didn't know what was going on. Like if I hit anything, I was on so much pain meds. I don't really remember much of it. I remember talking to a cardiovascular doctor saying that I hit a nerve, a ma- one of a major artery in my leg. I just nicked it. I don't know what they did, but they were able to help like not heal it. Cause I still have an aneurysm in my leg. I still have issues with it. It's just, I have an aneurysm. I have a hematoma. I can't jump anymore. I can't run you know, the impact of it might irritate something in my leg and I get like a huge cramp and it feels like a really bad Charlie horse. So Mm. and that was November of which year? Last year. Wow. 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 
So that was like my very serious one. And I was, I don't know what I was thinking. Like if I would have just stabbed myself in the stomach with that knife, I probably wouldn't be here today. All the while, your partner can't necessarily speak on his behalf, nor maybe do you want to, but he's sticking it out with you because he's still with you right now. Some people would be like, I gotta. Yeah, she's too fucking crazy. I gotta go. And I've told him right in the very start when we first started dating, like I said, you know, like, hey, I have mental health problems. Like, you know, I struggle with my depression. I struggle with anxiety. And I let him know right from the get go. So I wasn't going to put him in that kind of situation where it's just like, whoa, where did this person come from? Like, you know, so he was well aware and yeah, he stuck with me. Sounds like a good guy. Absolutely. He's very supportive. What's it like, whether we're saying wanting to die or wanting the pain to end or whatever, whatever it is. And then you don't die. And this Mm -hmm. has happened several times in your life, right? Mm -hmm. And you wake up, maybe you're in the hospital or maybe you're in the basement or wherever you are Mm and you're alive. Yeah. I don't know if you can find words for such a thing, but we're kind of limited by words because it is a podcast. I mean, you might be like an amazing mimer, but no one cares on a podcast. So what, what the fuck? That's exactly what goes through my head. Like what the fuck? Why am I still fucking here? Is it angerish? Yeah, it is. It's always anger. It's when I attempt these kind of things, it's always out of anger. I try not to lash out at everybody. It's I'm going to hurt myself. People who aren't aware of this kind of thing would think when you wake up, there would be relief. I didn't mm-hmm. die. That yeah. doesn't sound like it's the case for you. No. Mm. Even to this day, I still think about, you know, am I, am I still going to be here? Like, like right now, like, I don't think I'm going to make it past 30 with this illness. I, I really don't. When is your birthday? Uh, in April. And so it's now early November. You said you're 29, right? Yep. So you think you might be dead before you're 30 in April of 2023? Possibly, yeah. I think that it's just going to be... I I accepted the terms, like, you know, like, I'm not going to die a natural death. Like, you know, I'm not probably going to be living out my whole life expectancy. I do think that it is going to end by my own hands. Just the way that um, it's becoming now, my thoughts are becoming more more vivid, more like intellectual, I guess you can say, like I'm becoming more aware now. It's not going to be cutting myself because that didn't work. It's not going to be hanging myself because that didn't work. Like it's going to be something more like. It's going to work. Yeah. Weird question time again. You had said you're not going to live out your natural, I think you used the word natural life or expectancy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it possible that what happens is the actual natural life expectancy? Like that's actually what was meant to be? In a sense, maybe. But um, if it was meant to be, then I wouldn't be here today. So Mm. I don't know. It's kind of like a duel for me. It's like people always say, oh, there's a purpose for you. And just like, okay, so what is that purpose? To suffer like this? To live with this? To only have like one friend that you consider your actual friend? And any other time, it's just like you're always by yourself or you're with your dogs or you're like, you know, it's just, it sucks. Is your with the friend you're talking about your partner? No, no, I have yeah. another friend, but my partner is basically also my best friend too. Yeah, but you know, like we're around each other twenty four seven all the time. Like we live together, and it's just like right. I think dealing like hear, him hearing my my shit all the time. I think it will become like starts becoming a little bit too much. Yeah, the burden thing is what comes up a lot for people. I know. Yeah. Hmm. So other than walking your dogs, sometimes smoking or doing microdosing. What helps you get through the day? My dogs. My one one dog, she was, I call her my soul dog. Um, She was my best friend, even when I was younger, because I got her when I was like 17, when I was dealing with all this. 
I never liked to leave my house as much. I don't know if I had a bit of agoraphobia. Like I didn't like, cause I always thought something bad was going to happen, but then I got my dog and all that diminished. Like, it's like, okay, now I have to walk my dog. I have to go outside and mm. walk my dog, go outside. And I would walk like to the stop sign of the end way of my house and then come back. And then I'll keep on going a little bit further and further and further until finally it's like, Oh my God, I've walked five blocks and I didn't feel anxious. Mm. So this dog really meant a lot to me. And she actually passed away two days before my birthday this year in April. Mm. So that was a huge blow losing my dog. And then people telling me, you know, Oh, just get over it. You got a new dog, get over it. And it just, it pisses me off. I cut those people out of my life so quickly. Like it's just, it's so easy for me to cut people out now. I filtered Mm. through so many people throughout my life. Like, I don't care who you are. Like, if you say something like that, it's just like, I don't want you in my life anymore. Just You're done. Goodbye. Yeah. There's something so powerful and not discussed often, I think, at least for me, is uh, the, the need to be needed. Dogs can feel that. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And I think that's another reason why maybe I'm still here too, because mm. I feel like I can't let my dogs down, right? They uh, rely on me, right? I, I make them their own homemade food and like I look after them and I'm with them all the time. If I'm not with them, I'm at work, but then I'm with them again when I come home. So I was Did actually you- going to take them with me, but I was like, oh, they might want to go for a walk and start barking and crying. So I was like, oh, you could stay with grandma for a little bit. <laughs> Other than um, the people who were there, your friend at the tracks or people in a hospital who learned of your attempt, how many other people know of any of them? Just my family. So you're not announcing this ever. No, you know, even with my arms, like my scars and all that, I'm so used to hiding them that, you know, even if I were to tell somebody like, Hey, this is what I struggle with. They'd be like, what? No, no, (laughs) you like, cause I'm just so good at masking it. Right. So are you, are you good? I am. Yeah, I am good. I would say I am. Cause like I can go to work and want to kill myself and manage throughout the whole day thinking about those thoughts. Yeah, and you had said something earlier that I that caught my attention, which was, um, you know, you want to be careful in your line of work of not sharing stuff about yourself because you don't want to invalidate their experience. Because um, everybody experiences this differently. Like what my story sure. might be different than someone else's story. Like we could both relate to how shitty depression is, how shitty it is with anxiety, but your experience with it and my experience. Are yeah. Different. Yeah. I so I want to be careful how I say this. I would think because you had shared about sort of masking things physically, like masking your arms and then masking how you feel. You want to kill yourself, but you go and do your work. I'm not sure what my point is. I think when I hear people talk about he or she didn't seem suicidal, they didn't look suicidal, they didn't sound suicidal. I'm like, I don't think you understand what it looks like. It doesn't look like a thing. And whatever you think it looks like is probably very wrong. Mm-hmm. And so it just makes me think there are probably a good number of people that are not dissimilar to you. Yeah that do smile and do go to work and do whatever else. It's a myth. Yeah. It's the invisible illness, right? It's not like I'm, I'm, I broke my arm and you know, ow, I'm in pain. Ow. It's your head. No one sees that. And that's what I sometimes say to my sister too, as morbid as this sounds, like I say, why can't I have like an illness where, where everyone knows it? Like cancer, for example, why can't I have cancer? I'll get the help I need. And then people will be empathetic towards me, but I'm instead I'm depressed and I'm suicidal. I'm dealing with this shit in my head. It's just like, Oh, well go do something. Go for a walk. It'll it'll make you feel better. Go outside. You know, (laughs) it's still there. It follows me, but yeah. Yeah. I think it makes, it does not sound morbid at all to say that you want a physical 
illness. That makes, yeah, yeah, I get it. That makes sense to me. Are there any uh, myths that you want to call bullshit on? One thing, uh, PTSD. Mm. People always say, well, you're not a, you're not, you weren't in the military. You weren't a war veteran. Mm. Um, I have PTSD. And when people say that, they think instantly, like you were in the military, like what? Like, huh? From what I've experienced, like, and it's just like, no, like (laughs) PTSD comes in many different ways, like different forms and people experience it a lot differently. Mine was just almost because of my suicide attempts. That's one myth that I don't like. And another myth is, oh, it's all in your head. Yeah, I know it's all in my head and it's there, but it's just like, I trying the best to not be in my head sometimes because that's all I do. It's like, I'm constantly always thinking. <laughs> right. I mean, isn't the insinuation there when it's all in your head? It's it's not just in your head because yes, we're talking about your mind or your brain or whatever. There's a, there's a hint of you're faking it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To me. Yeah. When you're, when you're dealing with this stuff, it's like, oh, they just want to get uh, anxiety medication, right? You know, like they just want to get high off anxiety medication or coming here for an anxiety attack. Well, we're not going to give you any Ativan. We're not going to give you any benzodiazepines where you could just get high off it. Like, you know, that's, that's how our hospital works here. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh my God. We'll give you some um, no named antipsychotic and hopefully this works. And that's what they do. They just like give you different pills. Give you different pills and you don't know what the side effects are until you freaking have them. And, right? and we'll see in a month. Yeah. Not tomorrow. Don't call, don't call us. Don't call us. We'll call you. And when you do try to call them, it's just like you get their either their reception or there's a way. Right. And then when you're doing it mostly on your own, like it says you it sounds like you are, you're like, fuck it. Like I'll it's just, just figure it yeah. out, do my research, microdose on my mushrooms, and that's helped me big time. Yeah. So. You said you grew up in a religious household? Yeah, my mom was really religious. But you weren't? Yeah, I somewhat, and then I became the black sheep, and I've always listened to metal music, and my whole family just doesn't like that. And I still listen to metal music to this day, but I still I still um, have a faith, though, and I do yeah. believe that there's a higher power. Well, I have two questions. First, who is your favorite metal band? I like a few. I like Parkway Drive. I like Five Finger Death Punch. I like the um, German band Ramstein. I like corn. I like static eggs. I like just just big variety of music. All right. The second could be considered heavy metal, liquid metal, but I just like it. So it's metal. Do you? uh, You're the higher power that you believe in. Would they have any views on suicide? That's what I. That's what I question myself. Like, am I going to be forgiven? But there is forgiveness for every sin that's out there. So I feel that. from the books I've read from like, I've read a lot of like, um, afterlife books. Cause it's just, it's always been in the back of my mind. Like I want to know, like, if I do decide to go this route, where am I going to go? And a lot of the same books say the same thing. Like, you know, there's a healing, your soul goes through a healing process and, you know, you learn about what you did wrong in your life, but there's no judgment, mm. whether you get reincarnated back or you stay and you get more healing done. That's how I like to think of it anyways, rather than, you know, no, you're just going to go right to hell. You're just going to go to hell and burn for eternity and you're never going to be forgiven. I don't like to think about it that way. I like to think that there is a forgiveness and that, yeah, we're just energy beings and we got to heal. So So you're (laughs) saying in, in the space where after death, there would be some kind of entity that would not, not judge, be forgiving and listen and then it would just be an opportunity to sort of learn and reflect. 
Absolutely. Yeah. You know, what would be really kind of cool and very doable hmm. if that shit existed here before you right. die. Yeah. Go fucking figure. Yeah. Hmm. It probably does thing, somewhere, but I haven't found it. Yeah. And the sad thing is too, here in Ontario, they're going to be passing a bill. I know what it is, but I just can't remember it off by heart, but it's, it's made medically assisted um, in dying. And um, because of my illness that I have, I'll be eligible. What's your illness? I have like a mood disorder, um, depression, anxiety, PTSD, borderline personality disorder. I'm also on the autistic spectrum. I just got diagnosed with that just recently. I had to pay for it. It didn't come as a surprise. I, I knew. So yeah, because of I have these personality disorders that I will be eligible to be medically basically euthanized. So rather than getting help, you know, rather than the people getting help and, you know, let's figure this out. The government is saying, oh, no, let's just let's just euthanize all of them. Are they saying that? Yeah. So it's going to be passed probably next year, I believe. You think it's going to be a, it's going to be hard to prove that you're eligible? You or anyone else, I mean. I have no idea how they're going to do that. You know how doctors work. They're always like tricky. and. Why, why be transparent, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that begs the question, do you think you're going to take that route? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I think it's going to be me more of myself. It might not be when I'm 30, even though like my mind is very adamant on that. It might be mm-hmm. when I'm in my 40s. But I did have dreams that my highest age was going to be 35, 34. Okay. But I don't know yet. Maybe maybe my life will change. Maybe I'll move out of this crappy town and start a life somewhere where nobody knows who Victoria is. And you know, maybe I'll own mm-hmm. all the dogs in the world and I'll just be happy in my house. I don't know. I want to learn more about that whole system because that sounds, wow. Like I know about medical euthanization for terminal illnesses. I've not heard much about stuff that you're talking about. It's wow. Yeah. This is in Canada. Yeah. I don't know if it's just in all of Canada or just Ontario in general. If you were having a really shitty day and from what you've shared, you have plenty of them. Like right now, if we're not talking and you're like, you know, I really want to talk to somebody. How many people in your life can you call? Uh, Probably just my sister. Even okay, though so- she's busy a lot. Yeah, my sister's busy a lot. But um, I do talk to my sister. We go for teas regularly. Like, I'll just be like, hey, we're on a lunch break. Can we go grab a tea or something? She'll be like, yeah, okay, come pick me up. So I'll go and pick her up. And that mm-hmm. helps me. Like, just little gestures like that. Like, sometimes I could be in a good mood and my sister would be like, you know, yeah, let's grab a tea. But it's just like, huh, huge relief for me. Like, I could just be normal as can be. But in my head, it's just like don't want to be here, don't want to be here, don't want to be here. But less so to talk with your friend or partner about certain things or a little bit less? Um, I mostly just stick to my my close-knit group, like my partner and my and my sister about this mm-hmm. kind of stuff because they're with me all the time, right? So, And I still feel that, you know, if you tell people too much, like even if they are your friends, they might freaking, oh, this is too crazy for me. <laughs> I mean, you, you did say earlier that your partner has a limit, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. So... You, yeah. you don't have a lot of people. No. Not that you need dozens at all, but you know, it's hard. Mm-hmm. I don't either. It's really tricky. Yeah. I'm glad you have at least one mm-hmm. for what it's worth. Absolutely. I am one to rarely, if ever, give advice. And I really don't like it when people give it to me. I probably pull a Victoria move when they do. And I'm like, you're out. You're done. Goodbye. We're not talking again. But 
that said, you know, I don't know who listens. You know, we got a, a mishmash, mostly probably some survivors, perhaps a few healthcare professionals, maybe some people, who knows, right? So it's a sort of open-ended thing. Anything else you want to add? Maybe it's directed at them who's listening. Mine Thoughts? would be, don't bully people. Like, seriously, just be fucking nice to people because like words fucking hurt. Like that whole saying sticks and stones, like that's garbage. You know, like even being told like, oh, toughen up, like, oh, you won't know these people. Like, yeah, I don't know these college people, these junior high people, these elementary people that bullied me, but you know, that still fucking bothers me. Like mm. even to this day, like, you know, like when that one guy said, no one will ever love you. That goes through my head all the time. Like even with my partner, I was like, why do you even love me? Why are you with me? Like, it's just those words that I was told throughout my whole growing up. It's just like my word to people would just be, don't be fucking shitty. Just be nice. If somebody has different, you know, they dress differently, look differently, you know, just talk to them. Like, mm. seriously, I don't know. It seems pretty I'm, I'm 29 right now and being bullied all through my life, it still bothers me today. But yet you didn't turn into a bully. Mm. No. Which happens. It does happen. A lot of my anger was more internally, like mad at myself. I bullied myself. I was my biggest bully. Was or are? I still bully myself. I still yeah, think yeah. That I'm not good enough. Like even coming on this podcast, like I was like literally sweating buckets right now. <laughs> like I was Where just so nervous. I was so nervous because I think like, what am I going to talk about? Like, what if my story isn't that great? That's how, that's how come I have a hard time talking to counselors, even as a social worker. What if my story isn't as good? And I always compare myself like, oh, someone else has it worse than me. And it's just, that always goes oh, through my head because I've been told that. Yeah. Yeah. Comparing suicide attempts. Yeah. Or that life of pain. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I I want to say when you said that about don't be an asshole or don't be shitty, I, I obviously totally agree. I will add something. I feel like some of the people that are doing that are just also in a whole lot of fucking pain. Yeah. And they're dealing and so it's not a justification in any way, but it's just like, wow, just pain is pain and hurt people hurt people. You know, the damage people, damage people. It's just complicated, man. Yeah. They don't get a pass at all. Absolutely. And even like even to just talk about it, it's hard to. Even just coming out and talking on the show here was hard for me. I was yeah. like rehearsing stuff in my mirror before oh, really? coming here. I was like, what am I going to talk about? How am I going to introduce myself? Is my voice going to cut out? And when my phone started acting all weird, I was like, oh, no, no. Here we go. <laughs> here we go again. I don't have people come on here and just talk for an hour. And I don't facilitate in some way. And there's a reason for that. Whether I do it well or not is another part of the conversation. But yeah, you did great, awesome. by the way. I mean, I'm not I blowing smoke up your ass. This, I don't think of it in terms of like, you did great. But you shared your stuff. You were honest. That's literally the whole podcast. That's what everybody tries to yeah. do. That's yeah. it. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Listening to my um, my steel, I guess you can say it. It's <laughs> just all over the place. No, you're good. You're good. What are you going to do now? You're in your Bronco. It is mm-hmm. uh, early afternoon, probably chilly up there. It's Canada, right? It's not super yeah. like uh, warm. I'm just always curious about people's days. So you're going to, we're going to hang up in a minute. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Well, I'm off work today, so that's good. So I have this whole, that's why Wednesday worked great for me. I was like, cause I don't want to, you know, go to work and after I just unloaded all this stuff onto somebody, I'm probably just going to you know, walk my dogs, just what I normally do, my everyday routine, walk my dogs and um, just try to keep busy for the rest of the day. 
whether I'm washing my car, walking my dogs, there's not much to do in this city. No, no, it's very small. So I'll probably just do that. Go for a nice long walk with them. That makes them happy. It makes me happy. So do you ever get those pink fuzzy balls or is that more of a kid thing? No, I still get them when I'm around my partner's family. Cause they, I don't think they really like me just cause the age difference. He's five years older than me. Is that a lot? I don't understand. As long as you're of age, right? Like, I don't know. Like I'm not a kid. But I mean, five is yeah. nothing. Yeah. Like um, we're both adults. So um, yeah, I, I think it's at the age, her thinking I'm not good enough. So I, I tend to avoid his family gatherings because that's when I start to get that fuzzy feeling in my chest and it's starting to, now it's the fuzzy feeling in my chest that's now going to my fist and it wants to swing. That's <laughs> how so it's coming out sometimes. It's just like, no, Victoria, we don't do that in society. We got to be calm. <laughs> I was going to ask you earlier, but I, I didn't, uh, yeah, like, does it ever not go internal and you just want to punch someone in the face or take a knife and shove it in their neck? Sometimes that's why I used to go to the gym a lot. I used to do um, CrossFit. Um, I used to do boxing and I would just punch the shit out of that bag. Just all the frustrations out just, and I think that's what I'm missing. Cause like COVID happened and, um, I stopped going to the gym. I gained a little bit of weight because of it. And I think that's what that was helping. That was a huge outlet for me was working out, lifting things up heavier and just not thinking Mm -hmm. about like whatever's going around me right now. I'm just focusing on lifting up this barbell right now. So I think that's what I'm missing right now in my life to get back on track mm. mm-hmm. i will say this in conclusion once again victoria thank you and i really hope you enjoy your walk today with your dogs thank you very much sean thank you for having me on your show uh, my pleasure um we'll talk soon and uh stay warm and thanks again victoria. all right thank you all right bye As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Victoria up in Ontario. Thank you, Victoria. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. And yes, you can check the show notes for all kinds of other cool things, including another way to reach out to us via a recorded message or programs and presentations, supporting us, sponsoring us, joining us, as a member, and more. Oh, and by the way, we reached 13,000 monthly downloads as of this morning. Boom. Thank you. Really. You rock. That is all for episode number 141. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>